0: Well, it is a humbling experience for me to be here every time I come. And that's been a lot of times, folks. And this is one of um, maybe the only place I go year after year where when I stand here behind this uh, desk, this pulpit, or whatever it is, My first inclination is just to cry for joy over what the Lord's done, out of a burden for what the Lord could do, but also out of an incredible love that God has put in my heart for you. I leaned over to Terry, and I said, I'm that far from moving to Albany. Last time I was that far, but I was getting closer. But I, I just, I love you folks, and I thank God so much for your love. I, uh, I did something this morning that I've not ever done in a worship service because Jeannie always did it. And I, I used to, uh, you know, i nudge her and say, don't do that, don't, don't, don't do that. But I had to do it because my kids said to me now daddy you be sure and do what mama did i said what's that she said she would always send us videos of the worship service and uh, it would start with her knee and then the camera would sort of swing up just a little bit like that <laughs> and so while ago I, I was prompted by bob he took out his i thought well i'm going to do that if bob can do that important guy like that you know a peon like me can can take a video so i did and i just sent it to all four of my kids and uh, they'll be thrilled i know so uh I just, I just love you guys, and I've come this week with such a burden on my heart, and I know you share the burden. I've followed you, I, I mean, I always do, week after week after week, and I'm so aware of what God is doing in our midst, and I'm so grateful, Michael, Terry, church family, for the privilege of just being here to, to sit at the table with you. I do want to remind you, as you turn, by the way, in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 6, I do want to remind you that um, when a preacher preaches in some sense, he's like an attorney arguing a case before a jury. And an attorney argues a case for a verdict. And of course, the prayer is that uh, you would render the correct verdict in the service this morning. And I remind you that um, unlike most court cases where everything concludes when the judge says, all right, we need to hear the verdict, we'll have an invitation time, and that's God's way of encouraging you to render a verdict, but I would encourage you also to remember that this altar is always open. God's arms are always open, and as God speaks to your heart, should He at any point in this service, I think you are keenly aware that... This altar is a warm and friendly place where God's love abounds, and you could not hear it better than the choir has already sung it, and that is that the Lord is eager as well as mighty to save. So whatever it is in your life that um, needs changing, He can do that. He sure can, by His grace and through His mercy and with His power. So I would encourage you to remember that. I I want to ask you a question this morning. The question is the title for the message. What is the explanation for your life? Now, I want to reach beyond, well, my mama was, my daddy was, my forebears were, and we lived here. What is the explanation for what's going on in your life right now? What's the explanation for what you say? What's the explanation for what you do? What's the explanation for how you behave when you're in a corporate meeting like this? And what's the explanation for why you do what you do when no one is around? Oh, but God. And yet you still do it. What's the explanation for your life? If you look through the Bible, you will discover that um, men and women of God are pretty quick to give you some word explaining their lives. The Apostle Paul on more than one occasion shared his personal testimony and then ends up saying, I am what I am by the grace of God. That That is the explanation for my life. But... What is the explanation for your life? Is it it true of you what other people say about you? Is it true of you that what you desire to be is what you really are? Or would you say, I'm assuming that because I want to be that way is just about as good before God as being that way, so we'll leave it at that. What is the explanation for your life? When you come to Isaiah chapter 6, and this generally is a passage of scripture that is read and, um, and preached about in mission conferences, you know, the Lord said, whom shall I send, who will go for us? Then said I, said Isaiah, send me. But I want us to look at it in a different light this morning. I want you to see it as Isaiah's early own explanation for why he does what he does and why he says what he says and writes what he writes. Just to give you a little background for this, Uzziah was the 11th king of Judah. Uh, During the early years of his reign, he was ministered to by a prophet named Zechariah. Uzziah reigned for 52 years. Now the early years, 20 years approximately of his life, He was sterling in his character. But God began to bless him in such an incredible fashion, and Uzziah couldn't imagine that it didn't have something to do with with who he was. And on an occasion, just forgetting the command of God, Uzziah went right directly into the temple, and God struck him with leprosy, which never left him for 32 years. God is, he does not equivocate when it comes to his commands. And Uzziah, as a mere man, was not supposed to be there. That was a designated assignment. And he was not to be there, even the king of Judah. And so he, God struck him with leprosy. Uzziah went into hiding. He hid in the, the, uh, the palace compound. His son Jotham, who was a pretty remarkable person, became uh, the surrogate king and uh, for 32 years until Uzziah died. Coming into his life after Zechariah was Isaiah. Isaiah was a, a prophet. He was a writer. He was a reformer. I don't think you will find in the Old Testament a more clear and passionate herald of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you don't have to get to the next, but to the next chapter, verse 14 of chapter 7. Uh, where Isaiah is writing, Behold, a virgin shall conceive a a son and call his name Emmanuel. And so Isaiah himself is a pretty incredible person. He lived through uh, uh, three kings, by the way, not only Uzziah with Jotham, but also wicked king Ahaz, and then his righteous, for the most part, until the last of his life. There's the story again, Hezekiah. And so, in a little clip, a little synopsis of what happened in his life, Isaiah writes these words. Now, in the year of King Uzziah's death, here's what happened to me, he says. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of His robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above Him. What an, what an incredible vision. Each having six wings, with two He covered His faith, With two he covered his feet, with two he flew, and one would call out to the other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And overcome by this, Isaiah's first response is not to say, you know, I must be special. I mean, I don't know anybody's had a vision like this. This is pretty, pretty amazing. Isaiah falls before God and says, Woe is me. I'm ruined. This is the end. Why? Because I'm a man of unclean lips. Now, you have to understand that that was a way of talking about the wickedness of a man's heart. Jesus himself said, Out of the abundance of a man's heart he speaks. What we say reveals who we are. And so, Isaiah is saying, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among people just like me, also people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, he said, with a burning coal in his hand. It came off of the altar, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. You see the earthly temple and the tabernacle before it is just a finite representation of heaven. And so he says he took this coal off of the altar with tongs and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity, your sin is taken away. Your sin is forgiven. I would imagine there are people here this morning who would just give anything to have their iniquity taken away to have their sin forgiven well this is a picture of the fact that our lord gave everything and has made it possible for your iniquity to be taken away your your sin to be forgiven some of you have given up on the possibility that that could take place but here is a sobering reminder. It can happen. It can happen here this morning. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go? And this is the plural, referring to the trinity, the former. Who will go for us, the triune God? Then I said, and by the way, it was not a reluctant capitulation. Okay, I'm here, S- I guess. Send me. Isaiah says, me. It's like someone in a classroom who finally has the answer when everybody else has always had it. He never has. Me. Oh, I got it. Me, 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 me. Send me, says Isaiah. And he said, go. By the way, it was not going to be a very pleasant responsibility. To tell these people. They're going to be hard-hearted. Keep on listening, but you won't perceive. Keep on looking, you'll not understand. I'm giving you a hard assignment, but it's the assignment that I'm giving to you. And then from that moment on, Isaiah just launches into prophecy, history, calling the people of God back to him. And that's the rest of the book. But this is the explanation. This is so that you will understand why Isaiah does what he does and is who he is. Here's the question now. What is the explanation for your life? If you were asked to sit down with a piece of paper and a pen and say, this is who I am and this is why I do what I do in the light and in the dark, this is why I think, how I, how I think. This is, this is the explanation for all that I am and, and all that I do. What would you write? And by the way, would what you even wrote be true? Because sometimes we have the impression that if we want to be something, that's what we are or if we should be something and we endorse that then that makes us that kind of person but if you had to write it out what would be the explanation for your life what do your friends say is your life's explanation oh he does that because she she, she's that way because well you need to know that's uh this is how you can explain her life Uh, here's how she grew up here's what Here's what she did. Here's what he did. And, and these are the parents he had. So you really can't expect much different from them. Uh, or, oh, oh, I saw him uh, someplace. He didn't know that I, I was seeing him. And I, hey, yeah, this, this explains, this explains it. This explains everything. What is your life's explanation? Isaiah is saying, this is mine. Now, what is yours? That's the question I want to ask this morning. I am... Uh, you know, as a pastor, had to do what your pastor has had to do on many one, many occasions. You know, people say, "Why did she do that? Why did he do that?" I uh, I have preached at mission commissioning services for over well over a thousand, maybe thousands of outbound missionaries, and I can see it. I can see. Daddy's sitting back there and saying, I can't understand this. Why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? I mean, I sent him to school. I paid for his education. I expected him to come back home and bale hay with me or work in the shop with me or make something of himself. And now he's going to the ends of the earth. Why is he doing that? I, I was speaking last Wednesday to a couple thousand college students, maybe there were that many in the room, I'm not quite sure. But, um, and I was challenging them to, uh, to do something that was contrary to what the thinking would be, and that is, to, to live for God and to offer them something. But I could hear, even as I was saying that, in the back of my mind, I thought, this is going to surprise a lot of parents who say, "What? Not only is it costing me for this semester, but he's wanting me to pay more money so he can go play in India during the summer? How do you figure that out? What's the explanation? So so let me just ask you some questions. Would the explanation for your life begin with something like this? I have had a life-changing encounter with the holy God. Is that where you begin? Really? Now, come on. Would your friends say that about you? Or even if they did, would it be true about you? Could you really say this morning, I have met God and it has radically altered my life? Now, the question is not do you know about God? The question is not, do you know the gospel story, how Jesus died on the cross? That's not the question. The question is not, do you have good church friends and go to church and behave well enough to keep people off your back? That is not the question. The question is, have you had a life-changing encounter with God? That's where it begins. I would say, if not, by the way, this is, this is a good time to begin. That's right. This is what Isaiah, he said. He said, uh, Uzziah, by the way, Uzziah might have been I, Isaiah's cousin. Uh, Isaiah's daddy's name was Amos, not Amos, but Amos. And there is some possibility that, that there was a relationship there which gave Isaiah even more direct uh, uh, encounter with the king than you would normally expect. But this was a, this was a moment. Uzziah died in Isaiah said during that year something happened to me I saw God I met God And by the way if you if you take the first 4 verses uh, not to mention the entire passage that I read but if you take the first 4 verses it's pretty well it, it pretty well includes everything that, that a person who sees God, you know, there's this conscience of God's sovereignty, this incredible conviction, I am a sinner. There is the sacrifice by which he is cleansed. And then there's a call to change his life, to serve God. It's, it's, it's all there. But the bottom line is this, meeting God changes your life. Amen. Now, you can know about God and not be changed, but you can't meet him and not be changed. Several of you, I've been sort of amazed, and and this is why I'm going to tell this story. Several of you have come to me and said, I know your your grandson. Now, you know, I begin to wonder which. I have 12 grandsons and 13 granddaughters, and so that could mean a lot of grandkids, you know. I've got great-grandkids now. I know you're looking at me and say, I can't believe it. He's just (laughs) barely out of his teen years. And (laughs) I can't believe it either, you know. Uh, it's, it's repayment. You know, diaper, spelled backwards, is repaid. And that's it's just, you, <laughs> you, you get it back. One of the last things Jeannie said was, be sure to send out birthday cards and gifts to all of the grandkids. And then she, by memory, gave me all 25 names and their birthdates. Put them, maybe, maybe put them on a list and said, don't forget. I've forgotten one, but I made it up pretty quickly. La- In fact, last week I sent three cards. I mean, I just wish they'd quit having kids. But several of you have, uh, uh, three I think since I've been here, have said, I know your grandson, and they've called his name. And they heard him preach or they were in a training session with him. And he, he, he works with E3 Partners. In fact, he was just training on his, uh, his seminary attended, Southeastern, training on their campus a couple of weeks ago. And he's an incredible young man, a trainer, a gospel preacher, a, a, a teacher. But not many years ago, after being for a long time in the wrong group and going to a party and getting involved in drugs, he came home and, and, and began to act outlandishly as he was plummeting from a little experience with ecstasy. His mother said, you, I'm calling your daddy. His daddy came home from work and said, You can't act like that around here, punching holes in our walls and damaging things. He said, Well, okay, if that's what you say, then I'll solve that. He went directly to the hardware store, bought tubing, went out 14 miles on an oil lease, hooked it up to the muffler, sat in the car with every intention of taking his life. In fact, the only way that, that he was found was because because he had texted all his friends and parents to say goodbye and they got the coordinates on his on his cell phone but 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 god he was listening to Caleb <laughs> in the car and he began to hear the song mark you think this is powerful god of this city there's still much more for you to do in this city and he, as he was passing out he leaned over took the handle of the door, pushed it open, and fell out on the ground, which is where he was found. Taken to, uh, of course, it became a police deal because he tried to take his life, taken to a, a, a hospital. And then for a month, he was in this, this rehab center. And I, I knew the rehab center. I'd visited kids there, and I knew this was... This was not good, but God stuck a Baptist Sunday school teacher in that rehab center as his counselor who said, young man, what you really need is to get saved and start reading the Bible. And within a month, he did both of those things. God radically changed his life. So don't tell me, That God can't do it. Don't tell Isaiah. The point is, some of you all are secretly addicted. Some of you, if you you thought everybody else knew what God knew, some of you, you know, your, your heart leaps up in your throat when your wife would walk in the room if she saw what you were looking at on the on the internet. God already did. And God can change you. So, would your explanation be, I've met God. I've had a radical encounter with the Holy God, and He has changed my life? That ought to be your explanation, that ought to be where you start. That ought to trump every other influence in your life. I mean, how could God not be bigger to you than this experience or that experience or this parentage or that lineage or this school or that school? All of those are important, but is the explanation for your life truly, I have experienced a life-changing encounter with God. Let's add something to that. Let's add this phrase. And this has brought me to a place of surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Do people say that about you? you. He, she, I don't know if anyone else in my life knows Christ and surrenders to Him. Surrender. Now, choir, there's a difference between knowing a lot about Christ and living in surrender to Him, bowing before His Lordship. You see, let me just tell you this. If you are surrendered to Christ, students, if you're surrendered to Christ, there's going to be two things about your life that will be, be very obvious to you and obvious to others. You can't hide it from anybody else. First of all, you will be listening to the Lord. You just keep reading the Scripture. And, and he said, after he cleansed him, he says, your, your, your iniquity is, is taken away. Your sin is forgiven. And then he said, He's what is Isaiah doing? He's listening to Christ. You won't be just reading that to get through your Bible class at At church or at your school, if you go to a Christian school or mom and dad, you won't be doing this dutifully. Just, okay, the day is, you know, I've got to read my, you know, this and I've got to read that to make sure that I have done that. You, listen, I am madly in love with Jeannie. She's in the Lord. The best way for me to be with her is to be in the Lord but I long for her voice. Somebody said the other day, I bet those hotel rooms are lonely. I said, no, lonely is going home and not hearing. Is that you, sweetie? I long to hear her voice. My gracious, shouldn't I sit eagerly at the feet of God and long to hear his voice? How do you do that? The plans of God are revealed to the man or woman of God by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. That's just bottom line. You want to hear him this is his word you'll be listening to God but more than that here he was not just listening to God this is the picture of surrender he was leaning toward the Lord you know our body language says a lot somebody's talking to you and you're going like this you're going you're sort of tilted back and got a furrowed brow and you're what that means is now what 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 are you saying to me but I want to tell you, when you love somebody and you trust somebody, you are leaning toward them almost with a smile on your face. And that's what the lang- even the language of this passage of Scripture has. Isaiah says, me, me, I'm ready. You can hardly wait for God to finish. Whom shall I send? Who will go, me, 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 me? Let me do that for you. No, 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 let, let me do that for you. Listening to the Lord, leaning toward the Lord. I... Uh, I remember talking to a group of pastors in Buluel, Zimbabwe one time, and I was telling them that I'd gone down to a place called Gwanda, and that out of Gwanda there was a, there was a gold mining camp, and that I'd walked around and led several people to the Lord just talking to them, and that we had an old church that had been planted down there, and that nobody would go down there and be a pastor. And the pastors looked at me and said, "Fundus, no, we can't go down. Too much fighting down there. And they began to list the people who'd been killed down there. Zimbabwe was in upheaval in those days. And I couldn't get one of those men to go. At the edge of that group was a young man, just barely out of his teens, named Sabalao. That means the killer, Madumba. Killer Madumba. Had a leg that was crippled because of polio. And he came, he came up to me and he said, he said, uh, he said, I'll go down there. He said, my bank has a position down there. I'll go down there and, and I, I, I'll go out those, it's about 15 kilometers, about seven or eight miles, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll pastor th- those people. He said, now you've got to promise to get me a bicycle. That's all I want because of my leg. He said, if I walk a long way, my leg it will bother my leg. And I said, so if you go down there, I'll bring you a bike. Well, two or three weeks passed, and I thought about the bicycle, and I got one, and I put it in my combi, and I drove down there to, to, to Gwanda and, and uh, looked around finally found Sablao just as he's at the, at the bank. He said, Funis, where have you been? And I said, you know, getting you a bike. He said, I've been walking out there the last three weeks. He said, this is, this is so hard on me. Is I go out there on Saturday and come back, go back Sunday and come back. Well, we have many people waiting baptism. I said, "You." I said, just yesterday, a Salvation Army uh, missionary was killed. Another guy was shot off of the top of the bus. He said, oh, goodness. he said, if God can stop the mouths of lions for Daniel, he can stop the bullets from the guns for Sablao. Thank you for this bicycle. <laughs> Leaning. What can I do? How can I, how can I get, how can I know God more? What else do you have to share with me? A voracious appetite. So so let's just ask this question. Now let's just be honest here. Is that the explanation for your life? I mean, really, your your, your parents see you stealing away just so you can spend time with God in prayer and in his word? Do you see your parents saying, you know, let's let's keep that off. I, I, I want to I, let's just read the I want to read the Bible right now. I need to spend some time in prayer. Your friends know that 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 you don't do something just because you want time with Jesus, not because the church has something scheduled, but because you want time with Jesus. I mean, really, does that explain your life? Would would anybody say that about you? Worse would you say that about yourself? Oh, even worse, would God say this is the truth about you? You see, this this isn't a opportunity for you to decide that's what i want i'm not there but by god's grace that's where i want to be i want to be described i want the explanation of my life to be that i've had a life-changing encounter with the living lord he has changed my life and i have this voracious appetite for the word because i want to hear him because he is my lord and i i am surrendered to him i'm not waiting to see what he might ask me to do I'm not going to judge what he asks. I'm not going to. I'm not going to hold him. You know, look at him with a frown and say, "Now, what is your?" A-? No, I'm. Le- I just want to hear what it is. Let me just add one more clause to this, and then, as I said, this altar is open for us to say, "I want that life-changing experience," or, "I know, and I know that I know Christ, but." I want God to bring me to a place of absolute surrender. Absolute surrender. Add this to the list. I've had a life-changing experience. It's brought me to a place of such surrender that I am eager to share Him with others. People say that about you. I tell you what, that that guy, that gal, that mom, that daddy, if if you talk to them, they've got one thing on their mind. They want to talk with you about Jesus. You see, Isaiah said, "The the Lord said, whom shall I send? Who? And Isaiah said, well, if that's the question, me. Send me. I'm eager to do anything that you ask me. I'm especially eager to share. But said the Lord, "This is this is going to be a place where you preach and they don't respond. It's not Sherwood Baptist Church. You're preaching to a bunch of fire hydrants, a bunch of stumps. They will not move. And the more you talk about God, the more indifferent they're going to become. This is going to be hard for you, Isaiah. Is it what you want, Lord? Yes. Then I'll go." I want others to at least know. Did you know that sharing the gospel is not merely, listen, it is not merely that people would trust in Jesus as their Savior, and if you think it is, you're going to quit sharing because not everybody's going to trust in Jesus as their Savior. But I was bouncing down a mountainside with a missionary. I was just with this man the day before yesterday. We had a retreat for African missionaries. And I was with this man, and I reminded him of what he said. I had preached my heart out on the top of a mountain in a village where the gospel had never been preached. And it's the only time I ever preached in a village in Africa, and nobody trusted in Jesus. And I am stone silent in the Land Rover as we're bashing down the side of this mountain. He said, I know what you're thinking. I said yeah it must be really disappointing when you live over here and and uh you share the gospel and no one trusts jesus he said oh oh brother tom you think what keeps me over here is people trusting jesus no no what keeps me here is obedience to god i don't know how god uses the gospel he might use tonight in their judgment that's deep theology but we just share because it's in us. What's in us has got to come out of us. I I chose this verse for a reason, and I'll um, I'll just share this reason, and then we'll have a time for the jury to render the verdict. Either I need that or yes, Christ has changed my life. I can't believe that I have not absolutely (laughs) surrendered to his lordship, and if that... I cannot imagine why I have not been sharing the gospel with other people. In uh, 1962, 54 years ago, this past July, I was on my way to um, the university. I just graduated from high school, all of 18 years. I was on my way to the university to set the world on fire. I was going to enroll. I was going to a pre-med student there at the, at the university, really excited about it. And... Um, I was, they asked me to help out at a little church down in South Central Arkansas, Eldorado, and I can still smell the oil refineries right now in Dorado. It smells like a skunk. And, uh, and, and but, but I was this youth, rep, youth pastor in a small church and we had gone to camp and I, I heard at that camp, you know, I'd taken the kids dutifully to camp and put up with them, and, but I'd heard this preacher say, you know, he didn't say it this way, but the plans of God are revealed to the man of God by the word of God through the spirit of God. And uh, and uh, so I, I, you know, I had that tucked way back in my brain. And so, I was scheduled a scheduled youth revival. And the preacher was preaching. I have no idea what he said, but it occurred to me I had never listen. I had never asked God about what I was to do with my life. So they kept me in this little house across the street from the church. It, they were going to tear it down ultimately, but when they bought some property, this little house was sitting on it, so they, so they gave it to me. So here I was, 18 years of age, living by myself in this house. I mean, I didn't wash dishes. I just put them in the refrigerator. You know, I just keep stuffing for to <laughs> take them back out. You know, you know it's just, it, I was just, you know. But I remember going across that night, across the street and walking to that house, and it occurred to me, I haven't asked God. And I remember kneeling down, I have it vividly in my mind, by the bed. I didn't just throw the Bible open and jam my finger down, you know. I was already reading in Isaiah. And I opened it up to where I was reading. And I said, God, if, if if you want something different, just tell me. And I came to this passage. And without any equivocation, no argument, I knew. Listen, God knows how to talk to you. Don't you worry about that he knows how to get your attention and without any hesitation any confusion whom shall I sin who will go for me I knew God wanted me to be a preacher and I'm going to tell you something Jeannie and I used to describe our lives together as one glorious adventure in the gospel I cannot believe what the Lord has privileged me to do and privileged me to see, none of it would have been there. Not even her. I'm confident. And I said, Lord, I want to tell others about you. Never regret that. That's the explanation for my life had a radical encounter with Jesus who changed my life and along the way he brought me to a place of absolute surrender to his lordship through which I said, Lord, whatever it is, but it will include sharing the truth with others. And some of you, you know, you leave people with eternity in view when you say God bless you. And but I would imagine there are people here who've never, ever, ever, just simply sat down and shared the gospel with your friend at school or at work or even in your home. So what's the explanation for your life? Wouldn't you like for it to be Jesus? People call your name, wouldn't you like for their first thought to be Jesus? When you're laid to rest one day wouldn't you like family and friends to say you know this man this woman made me want to love jesus how do you explain your life wouldn't you like for it to be the grace of god and the life of christ Would you just bow your head for a moment? And the altar's open. If you know what you need, you just get up immediately. That's it. Just just come down here. Our counselors will be down here. They'll be all over the place. Some of you know that this morning, and we're going to pray about this a little bit, you know this morning that that what you need is an encounter with Christ. You need a life-changing encounter with Christ. There are things in your life you can't get rid of, you can't get Get shed of them, but you know and you know that you know Jesus can do it and you're ready to say, Jesus, I want to trust you as my Savior. And you just come on, join these others who are coming right now. Some of you have reservations. You've given almost everything to the Lord. He wants you. No equivocation. Absolute surrender. Just give up. And say, Lord, you are Lord. No way to call him Lord apart from that. No way to call him Lord apart from that. And this morning at this altar, you want to say, Lord, I surrender all. And there are others here. You, you know folks who do not know Christ. You desperately, you desperately want them to know, would you share with them? While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and folks are already coming and they're here at the altar praying, talking with counselors, our counselors are here, that's it, let's quietly stand to our feet right where we are. You just make your way right here to this altar. Lord, you know what's in my heart. I want you to be the explanation for my life. Father, open our hearts to the truth of your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Now let's say yes to him. Amen.